Okay, love and unity. Let's just dive in here. Verses 1 through 4. Um, I titled Loving the Weak and the Strong. Loving the Weak and the Strong. So this week and next week carry this theme. We're going to dive in and, and start here this week. Here's how Paul begins this. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while uh, the weak person eats only vegetables. Oh boy. <laughs> Look out. It's in there. I'm not, you know, it, it's in here. Okay, so right out of the gate, we have to ask the question, who are these people? Who are the weak in faith and who are the strong in faith? And Paul has been given a report about Rome. This is a real issue, okay? Remember just a, a little bit here of the dynamics of the church in Rome. You have Gentiles and Jews who are now one in Christ, one church together, brought in together. However, after the church began, the Jews were expelled from Rome for a period of time. So you had a full-on Gentile church for a long uh, you know, number of years, and then Jews were allowed back in. So now they're coming back, and they're feeling a little bit of a, of a break with with what they experienced early in the church. Now, there's differences and struggles, and so it's not just clean, you know, cut along the lines of Gentile and Jew. It's more individually how this works out, but these are dynamics in the church. Paul has heard there's some issues about what foods some people eat and what foods other people choose to not eat. Weak in faith. Who are the weak in faith? Well, in this scenario, it's the veggie eaters, okay? <laughs> now be careful, you carnivores. <laughs> While you may be in the category of strong in faith here, or those who were understood uh, to be strong in faith, in that the sheet had descended. Rise, kill, eat, Peter. That was the call. There is nothing unclean that the Lord has, has called clean. And so if you eat giving thanks and you honor the Lord, there is nothing off limits for you. Eat up. This was hard for Peter, a Jew. I mean, culturally, think of the shift, the massive shift. That first taste of bacon. Remember when Cam was up here cooking bacon a few sermons back in Romans? <clears throat> Imagine what that would have been like. Oh, it would have been amazing and at the same time kind of scary. It's kind of like I felt <clears throat> the first night of our honeymoon. I'm, I'm checking in the hotel, and, and I'm standing there with, with my wife as of a few hours ago, right? And I feel like I'm doing something wrong. I was like, are you sure this is okay? Yes, we're married, honey. Okay, cool, you know. I can do this now. Just a few hours ago, it would have been sin. So there's a transition, a, a, a mental shift that's required. And the, the, the faith here is, is key. The, those who are weak are weak in faith. So what we've got to remember here is that this is not at all in the same category of the book of Galatians when Paul is addressing the Judaizers, those who were coming in to say, listen, you have to follow the law. If you want to uh, be saved, if you want to earn grace, you have to follow the law. That is the way that uh, the Lord has laid out. Jesus plus law keeping. 
Absolutely not. That is not the case. Uh, and, and Paul has some very hard and, and, and direct words for those who would pollute the Gospel with law-keeping or not eating certain foods or whatever it might be. So that's not who these people are. They are weak in the faith. They understand the Gospel and they stand on the Gospel. It's just that they're struggling with the shift from everything that they knew before to now the freedom that they have been given in Christ who has fulfilled the law. This is how John MacArthur said it. I really appreciate this, this, this expression. Strong and weak believers are those who are mature in faith and those who are immature. Those who understand and enjoy freedom in Christ and those who still feel either shackled or, or threatened by certain religious and cultural taboos and practices that were deeply ingrained parts of their lives before coming to Christ. You can see why this would be a struggle, right? And friends, it's not just a struggle for folks back then. There are always folks coming into the church who are coming in a situation of of young faith, immature faith. They're, They're weak in the faith. And so the church has a decision to make. How will we engage those who are kind of struggling with this transition that we are free in Christ. It's important to remember unity and love. Idolatry in the meat market. This is, is we've got to enter in here and understand a little bit more. It's not like they just love vegetables. That's like, man, I just can't stop eating carrots. No, there was something more happening here. The meat market in Rome was just a convoluted mess of, of idolatrous uh, meat sacrificed to idols, and then it would be sold into the meat market and chopped up and sent all over. You had no idea. Many times, if the meat you were purchasing at the meat market had been sacrificed to some pagan idol. Now, in 1 Corinthians, you understand from Paul, he's like, doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. It's a non thing, right? Have some steak. It don't worry about it. But if your conscience condemns you, don't eat. Don't eat that steak. And so there's, there's a balancing act that's taking place here and a, a pretty big division that's happening. Our Kent Hughes um, unpacked this a little bit. The veggie eaters, uh, you could see their, their position was understandable, but it was not biblical. You can understand why they would be struggling but at the same time, it's not, a, it's not a biblical conviction to say, hey, you guys, all you should eat is vegetables. In fact, some had become vegetarians even though the Old Testament law did not command vegetarianism. Why would they do this? Well, these Jewish Christians came to the conclusion that a vegetarian diet was the safest because it was so difficult to be sure if the meat was acceptable or kosher before the Lord. And their conscience was very uh, strong on these matters, probably because they had come up culturally with this as a focus of life. To honor the Lord, right? In a a real conviction of worship and honoring of God. So you can understand this. Even though they are free, they are feeling bound. And in that, that's why we would say that's the weakness of their faith. They're still making that journey forward into this freedom 
but they haven't fully broken free from where they were. Welcome him, the one weak in the faith, but not to quarrel over opinions. So the church is not to say, hey, um, are you one of those veggie-only types? Because that's not who we are here, right? They, that's, not, that's not the bar. The, in, the encouragement is come in, arms open, we welcome you. But, but you are to not make an issue of your veggie-only restrictions. You can't push that upon others. You, you're not going to come in here and divide this church and try to make eating carrots the main thing. Christ is the focal point, not carrots. So welcome Him, but not to come in and quarrel and be divisive. He goes on and he says, let not the one who eats despise, that's a strong word, despise, show complete disdain, disregard for, pretend as if he was non-existent. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. And let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats. For God has welcomed him. So it's, it's, it's both directions. You have sin occurring in a, in a two-direction way. Those who are weak, they're inclined to pass judgment and say, look at this guy. He cares nothing about obeying the Lord, honoring the Lord. He's eating meat. How does he know if it was sacrificed to idols? I, I, won't, I won't have anything to do with him, right? And so that inclination is just stiff arm. Hold it at arm's distance. The one who was strong was tempted to despise the one who was weak. Oh, those weaklings, why don't they grow up? Why don't they, why don't they get mature like the rest of us? Why don't they get some steak? We're trying to have a potluck here. I mean, how does that work? They keep bringing carrots. <laughs> it's, it, it does seem sort of funny, but just imagine, how do you do church when two groups Form, and I'm telling you, this is, this is serious, divisive. You could even imagine uh, separations of seating taking place. If this is not a- addressed and soon, Paul knows this will divide. Little things divide churches. I mean, we could all tell stories, I'm sure, of churches we've either been a part of or heard about that have split over the dumbest things. Why is that? Because the care is not taken early to call out the things that are important and to tolerate the things that are not. Just love one another. Bear with one another. This isn't a big deal. Love. Pursue unity. Now, it's important to note this. This is not doctrine that is being addressed here. Sometimes people are like, oh, it's, it's all about, you know, just focus on the essentials. And I remember being in a church where you're like, okay, what, what is the essential doctrines here? What, what are they? And you could barely get maybe two or three listed. You know, we have unity. No, we don't. We have fog. That's what we have. We have no clarity. That, that is not unity. So doctrine is not being called to just be ignored here or kicked to the side and called unity. Doctrine matters. That is how we unite together. But personal preference, personal conviction on different things, background, these things, they are not to divide in the church. 
You could see how this could unfold. First church of the carnivorous. We're planting a new one just down the road. And then, okay, fine, you guys leave. We're starting Tofu Baptist Church. First Tofu Baptist Church, right? Oh, how easy it would be. It, it just seems silly, but friends, this was serious. This serious deal. It's hard for us to appreciate maybe the divide here, but when you begin to look at personalities, different personalities, look, I mean, look around. We are all different people. We have all kinds of different pasts and backgrounds, family history. If you grew up in a really legalistic church and you come and you sit next to someone who comes in with their McDonald's on Sunday morning and their Target grocery bag or whatever, maybe not Target, somewhere else, Walmart, and like, what are you doing? It's Sunday. You, you can't do that. I remember Jenny and I, when we were dating, um, one, one Sunday morning, we skipped Sunday school. <laughs> Easy now. <laughs> we, we were Bible school students. We would ride the bus out to this church. It was an awesome church. But we would skip Sunday school, go to breakfast, and then we would go shopping at this little local place while we waited for the service to begin. And my conscience was totally clear. I'm like, this is awesome. We're having fun. We're hanging out. We're having a great breakfast. And, and I bought some candlesticks. And Jenny was absolutely overwhelmed. Chair, what, what are we going to do with these candlesticks when we walk into church? They're in a shopping bag. This is not okay. And we were stuffing them in her purse. And, you know, like... Just, just, hiding them I didn't understand what was going on I'm like this is what's wrong with this and but Jenny had a different family upbringing and and Sundays especially in West Michigan you know or Linden they were very regarded <laughs> right and that's okay that's okay so long as we're on guard against legalism somehow thinking that we garnish favor for, for the Lord by the things that we do or don't do in a certain way on this day or that. And, and we turn to, it's, it's, you have to be careful with this. Cultural background. We're, we're a church for the nations. Okay, that means that the nations are not all like us, which means there's going to be differences and, and different thought processes about how things should go. I mean, you go to Uganda and church goes for like three or four hours. That's normal. And the, the Americans there, we're like two hours in the sermon, we're falling off the, the cement blocks, you know? Like, <laughs> Christian maturity plays a part as well. In this room, friends, there is the full spectrum of Christian maturity. You can't just expect what takes time to happen overnight. It takes time for the fruit to grow on the branches of a person's life. It takes work and discipleship and encouragement. Friends, this is an encouragement as well for those who are weak in the faith, growing and maturing. Learn, lean, like dig into the Word. What does it say? We want our convictions to be formed from truth, from the authoritative Word of God. Sometimes our family history will point us in the wrong direction. Sometimes our convictions can be really passionate, but, but not accurate. And so there's work to be done here. Paul's not suggesting that we don't teach. In fact, that's what he's doing right here. 
He is saying that we are to love. Now let's get a little closer to home. Choices on alcohol, we've talked about that the last couple weeks. That's a significant one. But let's go to something maybe a little closer to home. How about wearing masks? Okay? Here's one thing we did not do in this church. And I'm grateful for it. And this passage is one of the reasons we didn't do it. We did not say you have to wear a mask in order to enter into worship in this church. I believe that that is an inappropriate and, 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 and unbiblical requirement of worship. The text does not require that of God's people. The governor has no authority to do that. So we leave it open. Here's what we didn't do on the other end. We didn't say, you can't wear a mask if you want to worship here. That's unacceptable. We're an anti-masking church. That would have been misused strength. Okay, so in all of these various things, and these are, these are tough different things. I love that we have folks that wear masks and felt comfortable and folks that didn't wear masks and felt comfortable. We didn't create a masks only section and send them to the back and, or stick them in a room. You guys go over there. No, we're in the mix here. Fine. Vaccines. We're an anti-vaccine church, a vaccine church. No, we're pro-vaccine church. No, we're the church. We're the church. You make the decision that God lays on your heart, your conscience, your conviction. Choose wisely. Make your own decision. That's not, that's not a requirement of Scripture that you have to get the vaccine or that you don't. Gas or electric vehicles, or maybe I should say diesel. Don't you force me to buy an electric vehicle. I sit in the electric vehicles only section at my church. <laughs> Is that how we do it? Absolutely not. I love that we can have a brother with a monster diesel truck sitting next to a guy with one of those little tiny electric cars. <laughs> Singing praise to Christ. You know why? Because it's Christ that unites. Gun ownership. We're a pro-gun church. We're an anti-gun church. No, we're the church. We have people who carry weapons. Great. Do so carefully, wisely. We have people who don't. That's fine too. We're one church. You see, I mean, you, go, you go down this list. How many kids are you supposed to have? Well, it's so dangerously possible for church culture to begin to say you have to have like buku numbers of kids in order to be truly spiritual. That's not necessarily true. Or if you don't have a lot of kids, that, then, then you're weaker in faith. That's not true either. We are a church of, of families, large and small. There's no pressure to have tons of kids. There's no pressure to have to not have tons of kids, right? You, you make that decision before the Lord. That's His gift, His work in your life. Should we put our kids in public school, private school, or homeschool? Well, we're a, we're a homeschool church. Are we? No, we're a church. We're a church. We've got to remember, yes, public school is getting harder and harder. I totally get it. And we all have convictions about this. Pray for the parents whose children are in public schools. There's work there to do, absolutely. But it's not a requirement to come to this church that your kids have to not be in public school. We, we 
celebrate and encourage and support those who have their children in any kind of school scenario. We're not a public school church. We're not a private school church. We're a church. What's amazing is how church culture can sneak in. This stuff can happen. It can be destructive. People can feel on the outs without a word being said. Like, well, we're just, I guess we're just not in the in crowd because our, you know, our family is, is small or our family is large or our kids are you know, homeschooled. And I, I remember growing up in a church where I had one friend who was a homeschooler and I didn't know a thing about it. Everybody was in public school, basically, in our church. It's, that was just normal. And, 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 and I was trying to enter into his experience when he came to youth group. Like, he didn't know anybody. So build the bridge. Bring him in. The, we're the church. We're the church. That's why when we have youth group, I love seeing these kids mixing it up. We got public schoolers. We got homeschoolers. We got private schoolers. They're all mixing it up and having fun together because they're, they're God's people. The list goes on. Music styles, movies and TV preferences and on down the line. Now, honor the Lord, obey the Lord, and don't feel like you've got to be the person next to you. Be you. Be the person you are. As we do this, we're different people. There's going to be different expressions. We want to honor the Lord in these different ways. Love and unity point a better way than looking down upon, passing judgment upon, and dividing. Just another church split for Whatcom County. That's the last thing we need, friends, isn't it? We need unity and love. A group of people who love one another, who come alongside the weak and say, we love you. Come on in. Be with us. I'll eat some carrots. That's next week. Maybe we should eat carrots next week. That would be cool. <laughs> Maybe noisy, but. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls. And he will be upheld for the Lord is able to make him stand. You know who this verse is, is addressing? The weaker brother. The, the veggie eaters in this scenario. This is the encouragement to the weaker brother who is saying passing judgment on, on, on the meat eaters. They're, they're, look, at they do whatever they want. There's no way they're going to be okay with the Lord. In a sense, they, they can't handle all that freedom. Now, this is where we have to be aware because just like those who have decided to eat only vegetables, even though the Word of God does not command them to do so, you see how you see how that can very easily slide into a very dangerous place? When you say, well, the Scripture doesn't say it, but I really think it's safer if we just say that drinking alcohol is sinful, categorically. If we just say, you know, no dancing at all. If we just say, denim skirt and, and doilies, that's it. Thankfully, we don't have that. <laughs> there is something simple about rules. Something tangible. I did it. 
I know I pleased God because I checked this list. I checked this list. I did the rules. That is maybe a somewhat simpler way. It is not necessarily a more uh, strong, free expression of our faith. And legalism is crouching at the door. So I would encourage those who would be veggie eaters to be on guard. Be careful. Be careful. Don't turn that conviction, that echo of that past, that struggle to come around the corner. Don't turn that into a a law that takes the Bible to another level because the Pharisees, those guys, they came up with hundreds of laws and laid them on top of the text and Jesus shredded them for it. They can't handle all that freedom. They need rules. They need restrictions. They need a list to keep and protect them. Otherwise, they will fall. Legalism can be an expression of weakness. But friends, so can license. I mean, don't don't just assume that because you can eat whatever you want that you're strong. I witnessed this at, at Moody at Bible school. I had friends who were like, Hey, I'm free. I can watch any movie I want. I can watch any movie. I, want. I can read any book I want. And they would brag about the movies they had been watching. And these are trash movies. Sin-filled movies. Not freedom. Slavery. That's weak. That's weak in the faith still. So we have to be wise with this. You can't just be like, well, I'm casting off all the rules. I'm free in Christ. Let it rip. No. That's weakness. Strength is to say, I am free. And we're going to look at this next week. There's so much in Christian liberty to be aware of and careful about. There's wisdom that's required in these things. Three things listed here in this verse, these couple verses. We are servants of Christ. We're not servants of each other. We serve Christ. So, for someone in the congregation to say, this is how everybody should behave, and if you don't, I'm going to take notes and I'm going I'm to let you know. For a while in this church, we had a situation like that. And people would come up after a sermon I gave and they would say, I wonder what so-and-so is going to think about what you just said. And you know, that happened enough times where I realized, this is really unhealthy. This, this person is not Christ. They had an inclination toward legalism. And it became kind of a, a, a problem in our church. We are servants of Christ. Servants of Christ. Not servants of this person or that. We are accountable to Christ. He is the Lord that we all will give account to. He's the one that we look to as Lord. And we are upheld and kept by Christ. This is another display of the perseverance of the saints. If Christ is your life, you will be brought all the way home. If you have embraced Him as Savior and Lord, He will not pull the rug out from you. He holds you with a grip that's invincible. I will lose nothing of all that the Father has given to me. I will raise Him up on the last day, John 6. He holds. He holds those who have freedom to eat whatever they please. And he holds those who are still weak and realizing their freedom and eating carrots. He holds them. Christ holds and builds. You don't have to carry that responsibility. In a sense, Paul's just saying, 
Don't, don't worry. Let Christ hold them and bring them home. Now, the second section, living to honor the Lord. So loving the weak and the strong, that sets up the, 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 the rest of these verses. Then living to honor the Lord. Verse 5, one person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. You see the reoccurring focal point of this. It's the focus of a God-centered people. What we do or what we don't do we do or don't do for Him. Not to appease or try to win favor or garnish a, 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 a crowd to belong to a church. The Jewish feasts and the Sabbath observances must have been a real struggle. I think of all of these folks who had come up in Jewish homes where, oh man, I mean, the attention to each of these things and the joy, the tradition, think of the tradition, the family legacy of festivals and feasts and celebrations. Does it mean that we have to just stop all of that? No, it doesn't. You don't have to stop all of that. If Christ is the focal point, it means all the more. That's what it's all about anyway. It's, it's about Christ. But you don't have to continue it. You're free to observe or not. That's the amazing thing about the Gospel. The whole focus is Christ. Sabbath observances. So ceremonial law and moral law. We understand. I mean, what's one of the reasons we're not up here killing a, a, a sheep and bleeding it out this morning, right? The, the, the sacrifice has been made. Christ is the fulfillment of all of the ceremony. All of those were shadows. The fullness is Christ. We've entered in, so we don't go back to the shadows into those things. We celebrate Christ. The moral law remains, however. All that that moral law is. What is right and wrong. What is true. What is untrue. What we're called to do and, and, and to, to live like in this world. All that remains for us. Not to try to earn salvation, but to show the glory of God that draws from the Gospel in joyful obedience. Hmm. So, one day in seven. Right? That one day. The day of rest. It's important how we think about it. Do you swim? Do you shop? Here's the big question if you live in Linden. Do you dare start that mower on Sunday night? I mean, do you even dare cut that grass on a Sunday? I can. I, I can. You might not be able to. And that's okay. That's totally okay. Monday is my Sabbath. I work on Sundays. It's my biggest work day. And I love it. It's not so much a day of rest for me. Mondays are my Sabbath and, and the day given to the Lord to, to focus on Him and rest and renew and delight to sit back and enjoy Him. Well, 
should we have a Friday night service? If it's not on Sunday, does it count? Do you, do you see the kinds of conversations that people will struggle with on these topics? What about a Saturday night? So, well, what about a Wednesday service? And it's, well, we're free, friends. We're free. The reason we worship on Sunday is because that is the day of the resurrection. And I think it fits perfectly with what the early church understood as well. It's, it's victory day. It's triumph day. And so we gather in His name and we celebrate. But we could do that on Saturday night too. We're free to do that. We've got to remember this. But some may struggle with this. And so I would just say, you have to examine your heart and guard against legalism, guard against license, and then honor the Lord. Honor the, so if you're not going to mow your grass on Sunday, don't do it because your neighbor. That's the wrong decision. If you choose to not mow your grass on, on Sunday, do it in worship of God because you regard Him and you honor Him by refraining. These are the important, the focal point of this is, uh, is, is Christ. Remember what Jesus said, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Oh, the Pharisees and the, and the leaders, they had so loaded the Sabbath up with work and burden. You could barely do anything. And it was just like this crazy burden of restriction. And Jesus is hiking through a field, rolling grain and popping it in his mouth with his disciples and, and and they're, they're appalled. And he took them to task. You guys forget, this is, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. The Sabbath is a day of rest to honor the Lord, to rejuvenate. Don't forsake the assembling together. Praise the Lord for the turnout here today. Right? That's a command of Scripture. One of the ways we leverage our Sabbath, our, our day of rest, is in worship of Christ, sitting under His Word, delighting in Him, learning Him, gathering at His table together. But we do so, we, we do so with a focal point, that is Christ. So we're free to feast or free to abstain. We're free to celebrate or free to refrain. You're free. You're free. What you can't say is that I'm bound. I have to do this, all of you as well. You, you can say, well, I, I, I'm held by a conviction, but you, what you can't do is push that on everyone else. You may be held, and, and for the glory of God, you refrain, but that doesn't mean that everyone has to as well. So we find unity in this. I like how MacArthur said it. He said, don't compromise your conscience in order to conform to the conscience of another, another believer. Don't attempt to lead another believer to compromise his conscience to conform to yours. The goal is not everybody be the same. The goal is everyone love one another, even in the differences, even in the differences of conscience and convictions. For none of us lives to himself and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again that He might be Lord of both the living, of both the dead and of the living. Jesus accomplished the work that was necessary to reign and rule over all those who are alive, believe Him and trust Him. 
He reigns. He reigns over all things, obviously. But all those who have died in faith, He reigns over them as well. He is the Lord of life and death and everything in between. So the focal point, again, in all these things is Christ. Christ is our focus. I live by Christ. I live in Christ day by day. Abide in me and you will bear much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing, right? And I live to Christ. I live to Christ, to His glory. Everything I do or don't do is to be done to His glory. I think of this conversation that took place as Paul was teaching in 1 Corinthians, and he says this, encouraging us to live all of life for the glory of God. This is what he said. Whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So, here's what I'm struck by. When you wake up in the morning and you have that cup of coffee, so long as you're free, you're not a slave, you're not bound, you don't have to have that cup of coffee because you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. You are in charge. Your body's not in charge of you. You're in charge of your body. But if you choose to have that cup of coffee and freedom like that, drink that coffee to the glory of God. Drink that coffee to the glory of God. Now, the person you're married to may not be so free to drink that same coffee. My wife has tremendous coffee sensitivity. She can have a cup of coffee and be wired for a week. (laughs) So when you partake, when you eat that steak, don't just saw into it and, oh, it tastes good. It's one of the reasons we pray. It's when we stop before we partake. We honor you as Lord. We delight in you. For what we're about to partake, we bless you. We bless you. I like saying that better than bless this food. Lord, we bless you, the giver of the food. We bless you as we partake. Do all to the glory of God. Get that carrot out. If you can, you dip it in a lot of ranch. That's the way I eat vegetables. Just dunk those things. To the glory of God, eat up. Eat that broccoli. Last section, looking to one Lord and judge. Looking to one Lord and judge. So, loving the weak and the strong in unity. Living with the focus of the glory and honor of the Lord. And looking now to one Lord and judge. This emphasis continues on Christ. Why do you pass judgment on your brother or you? Why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me. And every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. These are words of caution. They come at the, at the tail of the teaching here, and, and Paul, it's like he wants to just say, listen guys, we're not playing games. This is not just about, you know, a potluck. This is serious. This is about the name of Christ being esteemed and, and, and held out to the lost. The unity of God's people is a huge deal. We will give an account. One of the things that struck me is here, he, he, he said, brothers, we're talking about family here, right? So here we are. In Christ, you're not just an acquaintance. You are family. We are brothers and sisters of one another in Christ. We don't have the freedom just to, 
just to write somebody off or, or treat someone with disdain who carries that title. Brother, sister. And you say, well, pastor, you don't understand. I just really don't like these people. I just really don't like them. I mean, we had them over for dinner and they made our life a living hell. What are we supposed to eat? How are we supposed to do this? We can't even figure it out. Love them. Love them. There's more on this coming next week when we talk about being a stumbling block. How do we, how do we love folks that have differing menus? And what does it look like? And how do we esteem and, and honor How do we hold that freedom if we have it? We're brothers and sisters. We're we're one family in unity. I was struck by 1 John 4. If anyone says, well, I love God, but he hates his brother. What does John say? You don't love God. Wow. Wow. Raising your hand, singing Amazing Grace, and scowling at the guy across the aisle. Oh, he's here. Man, that veggie eater. It doesn't play. I remember standing on this stage right here. Our worship leader at the time was getting accosted almost by this guy who was so mad that we had done a new version of Amazing Grace. He was, he was just red and just yelling at her. So I stepped in and I, I, I took one for the team, right? That's what the pastor does. And I just slide in, hey, good morning. And she was crying and she made her way out. And I said, what seems to be the problem here? You guys ruined my song. You ruined my song. Well, what song is that? Amazing Grace. And the irony was just too thick. I was so struck. I said, you know, it's interesting because the song is about grace and you're displaying none of it in this moment. And here's the other thing. That's not your song. That's our song. It's our song. He hit that door and has never set foot in this church again. When I see him out in the community, he's still mad. I love God, but I hate my brother. You don't love God, buddy. You don't. You're a liar. These are direct words that meet real situations in the church. That can happen. One of the jobs of the elders is to deal with stuff like that so it doesn't fester. And split and divide. Oh, we've got some hymn singers. They sit over here. We've got some Chris Tomlin people. They, they sit over here. That's not who we are. We're the church. He who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. This is the commandment we have from him. You, if you love God, love your brother. Show me your love for God by the way you show love to your family. That's love for God. Love your neighbor as yourself. Pride or judgment or humility and love. So amazing how these two go together. You can't separate them. If you have a prideful heart, that's my song. 
judgment. How dare you ruin my song? It's so natural. But if you walk in humility and you esteem others more significant than yourself and you walk the way that Christ modeled us, you lay yourself down in love for one another. Unity happens in glorious display. We will all give an account to Christ and we will all bow before Him. We will all bow before Him. The meat eaters, all intermingled with the veggie eaters. The weak and the strong, on our knees, tongues confessing, praise God from whom all blessings flow. We love Jesus and we're family. We're together. Our response this morning, just look at this list. I mean, just, just look at that list. Peter, James, John, the sons of thunder, right? Peter's brother Andrew, then Matthew, the tax collector? Are you kidding me? In the mix, Simon the zealot sitting next to the tax collector? You go down down the brothers Jude and James and then Bartholomew and Philip, Thomas, then eventually Matthias. Think of the difference among these men. These men were vastly different men. That's a message from Jesus. Even in His choosing of the twelve, He was making a point. I don't put people together who are all the same. That's the glory of the Gospel. Listen to what He says to this group. You did not choose Me. I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. And then at the very end of this, verse 17, these things I command you so that you will love one another. So, one thing to remember, whoever you're sitting next to, God chose them. They are His precious child. Weak or strong, they're your brother, they're your sister, the family. He chose and He put you together to love them. Love them right where they're at. Love the weak and strong. Live to honor the Lord. Look to one Lord and judge. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we delight in a gospel that is bigger than any human distinction we could ever conceive. Jew and Gentile, slave and free. We think of the the vast difference even here in our church. Different backgrounds, different family experiences, different life stages and situations, different tastes and inclinations to this or that. One Savior. One Lord. One Sovereign. Jesus, we delight in You and in You we find our unity. We focus upon You and we, we honor You as Lord. We give thanks to You for all that You do in our midst. Thank You for these displays of love and and lead us into greater love, Lord, as we journey together for the many years ahead. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.